Hi, folks. This is Gary, and welcome to another edition of What's Next Now, where we're exploring the question, what's next now for you in your career and life, and how are you going to claim it, own it, and make it happen? And on that topic, I have a guest today joining me, Dr. Alexander Titus, or Titus as he likes to be called, has an amazing background, which I'm going to tell you a little bit about here in just a minute, and then we'll get into some fun pieces of it. Welcome to the show, Titus. Thank you. It's good to be here. And you really do have a pretty amazing background. I went through it and I looked on LinkedIn and some other places and just a slight sampling so the audience gets an idea of the diversity and variety. So you have been a recruiter for the storage company Box. You've been a senior executive and the head of biotechnology strategy at the office of the CTO in the Department of Defense. And then you've also been an endurance bicyclist riding 3,000 miles from Alaska to California. That, that just, I mean, talk about endurance. That's just a crazy endeavor to undertake. And, uh, oh, by the way, let's throw in a PhD in biomedical data sciences your own podcast, Titus Talks, which we're going to talk about here, and then um, working on AI at Amazon. So I can see you haven't been up to much. I, I kind of already <laughs> think of you as kind of a lazy guy, not very motivated. Um, but no, uh, amazing, amazing stuff, Titus. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been uh, eclectic to say the least, but it's been great. Yeah, definitely been a eclectic for sure. So we, we did have a chance to connect. I think you reached out to me on LinkedIn, which I appreciated. And I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. And we quickly felt what I call uh, ICI or instant connection instinct, where I knew this is a guy who has something on the ball, the way he writes, the way he talks that, that I want to, I want to grow from, give to and, you know, kind of make something bigger. And, and that led us to conversation about Titus Talks, which is your podcast. And uh, I know there you talk about technology and, and your special love for biotechnology. So I went to your podcast and I listened to one of your shows. And I heard you interviewing Reza Hosseini Gomi. I hope I said his name correctly. Uh, Reza, yeah. Reza. And and here's the funny thing. I'm going to share this with the listeners. So I love the story that you told about how you met, that you were <laughs> you were down in his kitchen at 5 a.m. getting ready for some interviews, rifling through the refrigerator. And the, your then girlfriend, who was his friend, and she is now your wife, and you walk in, a pretty big gut with a wrestler's physique. I think those were your words, Titus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now you are both friends and you all are also couples friends. So it's just, you know, Reza tells an, a fantastic story of what he thinks of as perseverance and a zigzag path to achieving what he wanted. He's now a, a psychiatrist and CMO for a number of medical startups, but he faced a lot of rejection getting there. So I wanted to ask you, given your background, your eclectic background, what kind of rejection have you dealt with and how did you overcome it and stay motivated? It is a great age old question. And, you know, people love to talk about failure and rejection and how to, there's this concept of perseverance, I think is a really interesting. So I've always reframed it um, because I've always been fascinated with the idea of rejection. And it was probably started, I don't know, I, I grew up really what it is, is I, it started when I was a kid and I grew up um, 
in Oregon. So I grew up in an area in a kind of environment where we were very much into the outdoors and mm-hmm. spent a lot of time backpacking and kayaking and those kind of things. And, you know, when you're, when you're spending time dealing with the elements, you can't control, you have absolutely no control over mm-hmm. the elements, wind, rain, snow, what have you. And so you learn to plan. So you always have right, the right gear, you have a, a contingency plan if things go wrong. Um, and so you kind of build in resilience from a, you know, whatever would be the not the less dramatic version of it's not quite a life or death because we never rarely put ourselves in that dramatic of a situation, but in an extreme discomfort or right or a real enjoyment of the opportunity. And that's how I've approached my life for wow know, since, since I was probably five. Um, and so the the concept of failure and rejection to me has always been more of a not yet success rather than a, an actual failure or rejection. Because if you spend enough time pursuing the things you want to pursue, excluding some, some rare cases of like serious physical feats, like I'm never going to be the world's best marathoner. Just objectively, I cannot be the world's best marathoner. I'm six foot four, over 200 pounds. I'm not going to beat the fastest runners ever. But you are that guy who can ride from Alaska to California. I mean, that not many people can make that claim. Right. Well, it's true. And so it's all about just not stopping. We like to call it the Arctic Circle, the Silicon Valley ride is a great example. I mean, we by no means rode fast. We rode an average of maybe 12 miles an hour, which is relatively slow. Like, mm-hmm. About half as fast as some really fast bikers go. But we just rode for 3,000 miles and kept riding and riding and riding. And that's the same way I've taken with with a lot of my career steps. So a good example is when I graduated from college, I was a, a biochemistry major in college. In my last semester of college, I took my first computer science class and absolutely fell in love. Mm. So instead of going to medical school, I decided to move to Silicon Valley, the land of the computer scientists galore, and tried to get into tech, but I absolutely could not find a job. Um, I mean, this is back when biotech was still not that that booming. Um, right. The synthetic biology revolution hadn't really taken off yet. And so that's when I ended up on the recruiting team uh, at Box because I, I was tutoring. So I was tutoring high school science. And um, one of the people I was tutoring with happened to be a business development executive at Box back when it was kind of a growth stage startup and said, well, why don't you come in and interview for a job for our team? So I interviewed for an internship in business development, having absolutely no business experience, nor the kind of prestigious background. I wasn't a Stanford grad or anything like that. Right. Um, and I got hard. It was a hard no. The team was courteous to talk to me, but was never going to offer me a job. But as I was walking out, the recruiter said, hey, you know, we actually have a bot on our team and we're hiring and having never recruited before, honestly had no idea what SAS was at the time. I was like, sure, I can do that. <laughs> I love it. I'm, um, I'm resilient. I can do that. Yeah, exactly. And so then to true Silicon Valley style, I spent all of my nights and weekends hacking away in the, the basement apartment that I was, because I, you know, I was, at the time I was living in Menlo Park on 45K a year. Um, so it was, that's tough. <laughs> so I lived in someone's basement, um, and spend my nights and weekends teaching myself HTML and CSS and slowly learning statistics and Python, um, and just absorbing everything I can. And then little by little, I mean, it started with how do I insert an image 
onto a web web browser. And then over the course of probably four years of doing that um, in as much as I could, I got to the point where when I applied to get a PhD in largely computer science and statistics, I didn't have any trouble uh, making the case that I was technically competent because I had a portfolio of things that, you know, when you first started, it was terrible. I mean, print hello world to, um, <laughs> to get into my PhD. And that was, you know, it's, it's all about that, like not stopping. So right. I wasn't embarrassed to ask how the heck do you print hello world? Um, and then it eventually it was like, well, you need to come up with a new deep learning model to study cancer genomics. And it's like, well, this is the world apart from where I started, but that's what it is. So this is to answer your question. I've been rejected in the traditional sense, every step of the way I couldn't get a job when I moved to Silicon Valley. So I found the job that worked um, and kept plugging away. When I applied to grad school, got rejected from half the grad schools I applied to got into maybe the other half. Um, Fun fact, when I applied to grad school, I assumed I had a roughly a 10% chance to get into any grad school, kind of just a general assumption. So I calculated how many schools I needed to apply to to have a 50% chance of going and getting accepted. And then that's how many I applied to. Um, right. And so I you know, tell these stories of figuring this out and the ones that resonated, you know, because that's what a PhD program is all about is slogging away in the abyss of the unknown until you finally figure something out. I've heard you say a couple times now, you just just right there, you know, flogging away in the abyss of unknown until you figure something out. It's just kind of on your way to getting to a yes. Um, it's just not success yet. It's being resilient. It's taking that tap on the shoulder and that opportunity when the universe brings it to you, when the recruiter says, hey, we're hiring on our team, to then spending those nights and weekends in the basement in Palo Alto learning about HTML. You've You've just never said no to any of these opportunities that have come your way. Do you think that there's something about your attitude that has kind of attracted these opportunities to you? Or do you think you're just open to them and they would have happened to anybody? I don't think I'm special, but I definitely think it's attitude. So I've always been one to give long before I ever get anything in Mm -hmm. return. So it's some people take it from a, you know, a perspective of karma. I think of it more of a perspective of an investment in a portfolio approach to my life. So, and any one person or opportunity asks for something. Um, and I say yes, without a quid pro quo expectation, Mm -hmm. you know, 90% of those opportunities that I give to will never pay back anyway. Mm -hmm. But any venture capitalist knows you only need 10% of your portfolio to pay off huge to make it all Mm. worth it. Um, Right. And so it's the same thing. So like when I was in grad school, um, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I think that is so, so valuable. Like the analogy to the venture capitalist and anybody even who chooses to invest on their own, you have many, many stocks that fail, but the ones that win, win big. And so you're applying that principle to uh, putting stuff out there, knowing that ultimately you'll win in the portfolio overall. Yeah, absolutely. Which means then you're more approachable. People enjoy, um, at least in my experience, people have said, you know, we really want to work with you. You seem very open. Of course, there's been plenty of times when I notice I'm people are starting to take advantage of me. And then that's when you cut your losses. You recognize right. it was a bad investment and, and you move on. Um, mm-hmm. And so over time, those snowball. 
I mean, it's very much like reinvesting dividends in this in- investing analogy. You have a couple big wins, you put it back into the investment, and they just you still you just need ten percent, mm-hmm. and you have more and more invested in that experience. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where the biggest opportunities in my life have come from. Um, like when I we haven't talked about it yet, but my job at the Department of Defense, I came in to run the the entire strategy portfolio for the DOD at the enterprise level um, for biotech. And that happened because I had an internship at the investment firm Incutel when I showed up. This is in grad school um, during my PhD. And when I showed up, they said, we need you to, to take over a project that was honestly uh, left when someone left the company and then had been dropped, developing a new homomorphic encryption algorithm for genomic information. And I was like, homo what? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. And they said, "Yeah, it's it's a whole field of encryption. You got to figure it out." And I said, "All right. Well, we'll figure it out." That's, that's what I do. I'll figure it out. I got <laughs> yeah. a track record of that. I figure stuff out. And and that attitude of yes, and I have no idea what I'm doing yet, but I'm willing to do it. Um, so I think it comes with uh, it's kind of my cheesy three H's, but. You always be hardworking, um, but always be helpful in the sense we're talking about. But taking opportunities where you're not yet the expert in means you have to be incredibly humble to take feedback. And so, and and I love feedback because it means I don't have to do all the thinking. Criticism is the best thing in the world because I can convince implicitly everyone in my life to help me improve without actually having to ask for it. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't approach criticism the same way. And constructive feedback is efficient. It's an efficient use of growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of that combo that leads to this snowball effect of really cool opportunities. Hmm. You've had so many great opportunities. I, I really see it as you've, you've made or manifested so many great opportunities through your investment strategy to continue our analogy here. Um, and do you, do you see yourself even today on more than one path at the same time? And what I mean by that is many people in today's economy have a couple of different gigs going on that they have as endeavors and they might be full-time employment, contract employment, part-time employment, or, or passion projects. And, you know, you're in the world of biotechnology and technology, and you're such a varied thinker. I'm wondering if you have a couple different projects that satisfy your appetite for diversity and that you have them going on simultaneously, or do you prefer to focus more narrowly? I'm definitely on the, uh, broader interest uh, side of the house. So I know that lots of people uh, will criticize what they would call a lack of focus because, you know, that it's, it's in vogue to say you have to focus deeply to ever be successful, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, what have you. But I am, you know, I've always wanted to, I've never been able to answer the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because I want to, I want to be an academic and explore kind of new ways of thinking. I want to be part of government service and actually give back um, in a civic service kind of way. And then I want to help develop technology that has cool impact on the world. And so while I, right now I'm the chief strategy officer at a, at a really interesting biotech company in New England, I'm also an adjunct professor where I teach uh, courses on uh, kind of 
career opportunities in the biotech industry. Um, I'm an advisor to a, a number of groups on the AI and data science realm. And if you would have asked me, you know, back when I couldn't get a job in Silicon Valley, if big companies would be coming and asking for advice on how to do data science, um, I would have told you they're crazy because I couldn't get anyone to even talk to me. But it's that it's that. Look at cool. you now. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've actually found that the intersection of the Venn diagram is always where uh, you see the most interesting opportunities, and it helps you stand out. I've always mm-hmm. found that people really a lot of the stress in careers come from people trying to stand out while at the same time having done the exact same thing as as most other people. A good example of this is when people want to go to get their PhD, you know, they study in undergrad, they spend two years as a research assistant, and then they hope they can get into grad school. But 90% of people have done that exact same thing. Right. I was applying to grad school after having taken a year off to ride my bike, doing a bunch of other things. Um, And that was, it made for a more interesting conversation during interviews and reading my personal statement resume. And it really helped in that regard. So I'm definitely kind of a dabble in the startup world, in the gotcha. corporate world, in the government world. Hi, sir. Yeah. I started a podcast because I had never done anything in podcasting and thought, well, no one will listen to it, but I'll learn how to podcast. And Well, I mean, I, I, I think that's not true. I think you have a podcast with, uh, with an audience and also a YouTube channel. So, um, you know, striking out with, uh, with some progress and success there as well. So... Uh, you know, usually I ask guests on the show at this point, what's next now for you, Titus? Um, and so I, I'm going to just ask you that question. Titus, what is next now? What's next now for you? Ooh, that is a great question. So Finally, finally, <laughs> a great question for Titus. <laughs> um, on a completely unrelated to my career, I needed a creative outlet. So I decided to start teaching myself the piano a week ago. Um, oh, cool. And so that's one of the, on the, on the personal side of things. Um, and that's how I've done a lot of things. I bought a book, I bought an electric piano off of Amazon during prime day. And now I spend my half an hour every morning plugging away at the piano, messing up very simple scales and being terrible at it. But, uh, it's also one of the good things about a lot of people don't want to start things because they don't like being bad. I love starting things because I get good so much faster I improve so much faster than when I'm already good at things. Um, right. So I get an immense right. satisfaction out of that progress. Right. Um, so that's a kind of creative outlet. And I haven't spent mo- much of my life focusing on creative pursuits. It's been mostly technical at this point. And so it's broadening my repertoire of who I am as a person um, is really where I'm focused on right now. That's wonderful. I love hearing that as a, an executive advisor and executive coach, helping people blend different pieces of their lives together. I, you know, I tip my hat to you. Congratulations. I'm, I'm excited for you that you've decided to put some energy into that piece of who you are and stripe off some energy every day for that habit. And, um, you know, look forward to your original compositions or your cover, <laughs> your covers of Elton John, whatever, whatever you like. You know? Well, at this point, I'm on Pachelbel's Canon, so it's pretty slow going, but we'll get there. <laughs> well, it, it's it's been a delight to have some time with you. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, would you like to share any any method where they could connect with you? 
Yeah, um, I can be found on Twitter. My Twitter handle is one, the number one, Alexander Titus. I'm on LinkedIn. Alexander Titus is the the LinkedIn URL. Is, and I have a website, alexandertitus.com, that has a uh, contact page as well. I'm happy to chat with anyone at any point. I enjoy connecting. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you fit right into the what's next now world, especially the part about enjoying connecting. Uh, I'm your host, Gary Danoff. You can connect with me on Instagram at Gary Danoff, on LinkedIn as well, or drop me a note, Gary at GaryDanoff.com. It's been great having you on the show today, Titus, and uh, I could talk to you for another hour, I'm sure, but maybe we'll have you back again some other time. And to all the listeners out there, um, go out there, define it, refine it, claim it, and make it happen. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a great day.